Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. Well, good morning again. You might be a little surprised to see me up here again this week. I'm a little surprised myself, to be quite honest. It wasn't the original plan, but uh, with Dave traveling this week and other circumstances that arose that uh, Friday night when uh, I got a text from Dave and Donna and asked if there's any way that I might be available to uh, fill in. Uh, actually, it came at the right time because Nancy's over in Tampa. She went to Tampa to help Anna with a little bit of uh, parental reinfor- or grandparent reinforcement as uh, Anna's had a few uh, health issues this week. And so she was in need of a mom coming beside her. And so it actually gave me the opportunity yesterday to just be at home alone and to spend the day in a, uh, enjoying rethink, or thinking about a very familiar passage, which is our passage this morning, John chapter 15, 1 through uh, 17. But uh, just spend the day kind of meditating and putting together some thoughts. So trust the Lord will use this uh, to encourage you, even if it is a surprise. Now, uh, we moved into here, into, into Orlando in uh, uh, 1997, but actually into our, our new home in uh, the spring of 98 when it was finally finished. One of the first things that we wanted to do was plant citrus. You know, we're, we're Nebraskans. Nebraska, you know, you don't have citrus in Nebraska. You have cornfield and cattle. And, and so, you know, that's what I know. That's kind of the, the background. And Nancy, of course, she grew up in a, on a Nebraska farm. So uh, when we got here, we thought, ah, citrus. We want our own citrus uh, grove in our backyard. So we planted a lemon tree and an orange tree and a grapefruit tree. This is a picture of the grapefruit tree at, at its best. At the best, as it uh, was, was a short time frame. <laughs> the the uh, the orange tree that we planted, we planted that in the middle, and apparently we chose a we chose the ideal spot for oranges to not grow. <laughs> the, the 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 soil there had been dug up out of the lake uh, to create enough you know enough flat or enough ground that you could build a house on. But it was just this solid clay. The roots could never spread out. And so the orange tree, it might have produced a couple of oranges a couple of years, and that was it. And eventually it just dwindled and died. The lemon tree did pretty good for a period of time. And we were really enjoying abundant lemon harvest for a, a period of time. Do you remember there was that can- the canker days that when canker was going through? I'm not sure. We never had it truly diagnosed because it died right at the end of that season. And so uh, we, we didn't have it actually evaluated, but I kind of think it was disease that got it. Now, as for this one, the grapefruit tree, I'm not sure if it was disease or just neglect. <laughs> but, but it did great for the season and then not so good. Uh, and eventually we took it out as well. But uh, besides proving that I'm not a very skillful uh, vine dresser, I mean, skillful citrus grower, it, it reminded me that, that if the conditions are right, not orange tree, 
If it's healthy, not our lemon tree, and if it's not neglected but taken well care of, then uh, you can expect fruit if there's one other thing that's true. And that other thing that's true is what we're going to be focused on in John chapter 15. Now, in John chapter 15, it's not about citrus. It's about a vineyard. And, uh, and Jesus used this uh, image of the vine and the vineyard and fruit to give a picture of what the Christian life would be, be like as a result of what he has done on the cross where he paid the penalty for our sins and when he was buried and rose from the dead alive, ascended into heaven, now at the right hand of the throne of God, that we would be in an era and a time in which the Christian life would be a life experiencing a, a abiding, vital relationship with Christ. And so he used this picture now, we're in, the, we're in John chapter 14, 15, 16 in our series here, which is the farewell discourse. It's those instructions and explanations that Jesus gave to his disciples to help them understand what life would be like, what life would be like once his passion, resurrection, ascension would be over, when he sent the Spirit. What would the Christian life what would it be like to be a disciple of Christ in this day, in this age? And so uh, let me read the, the passage for you, and then I'll summarize it, and then we'll go from there. Jesus said, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and buried. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. If I were to boil this down into one kind of sentence to try to capsule, encapsulate what Jesus is saying here about the Christian life, this, this is how I would do it. I'd say when you are abiding, that is remaining in a living, lasting, and loving relationship with Christ, you will bear fruit for the glory of God. When you are abiding in a living, lasting, loving relationship with Christ. You'll bear fruit for the glory of God. So Jesus is like a, the master teacher. He uses this word picture. Sometimes it's called a parable, but it's not really a parable because a parable is a story. It's, it has a narrative arc to it. When Jesus told parables, which he did often, there would be you know, a story that would drive the thought. Here, Jesus isn't telling a story. There's no narrative here. 
It's rather an analogy or what's called a metaphor where you take something and say it's like another thing and in that comparison it leads you to reflect and to meditate, to think about how the two are similar and what the lessons and insights are that come from that. And so here we have this extended metaphor about a vine, a vine dresser, and the, the branches and the fruit that it produces. And so what we're going to do is we'll just walk through this one piece at a time and kind of put our focus on each of the three participants in this kind of divine drama that's going on that pictures the Christian life and then the result and the means of getting to that result. So here we go. The first one is the true vine. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus starts off and he says this, I am the true vine. I am the true vine, which is, of course, a reference to the, the grape vineyards that were so characteristic in, in the Middle East and in Israel in, in particular. So like the master teacher, of course, he uses something very familiar to them to, give a, to drive home a point that he wanted to teach them. So they're familiar with the vines. They li grew up living with it. So when he spoke this, immediate images would start to come to their mind. But he uses that adjective, I am the true vine. What does that imply? That there's some false vines or failing vines. There's some other vines out there that aren't the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine in contrast or in, in uh, different than the others. And so that image of the vine was one that was true throughout the Old Testament, often applied in a variety of ways, but including about Israel. In fact, let me read to you one of the passages from the prophets about Israel as another vineyard or another vine. Here is in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, where, where the prophet speaks on behalf of God about Israel and what God had done for Israel and what had resulted from that. He says, Let me sing for my beloved, for my song, my love song concerning his vineyard. And then here's the song. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And he goes on through the rest of the prophecy and speaks of the kinds of wild grapes that Israel produced rather than what God sought uh, for, for it. But you notice what's going on here? God, as the, as the vine dresser caring for his vineyard, takes care of it, provides for it, puts it into the best of all circumstances, gives it all the care he could. And what does it produce? Wild grapes. Wild grapes. The interesting thing about that, it's a picture of the fallen condition of humanity. What when, when we produce what our nature uh, 
what our nature is all about. What does it produce? Wild grapes. Now, the, the word wild grapes in the original language in the Hebrew can be translated wild grapes, but it can also be translated as, okay, you ready for this? Stink berries. <laughs> the idea is that when they, that these wild plants out there, that what they would produce was offensive in its odor. Now, it can also be sour grapes, by the way, which is offensive in its taste. You, that either way you want to go with it, whether it stinks or tastes bad, that's what he's talking about, what they're what they produced, what Israel as a nation continued to produce rather than the fruit, the good fruit, the luscious fruit that God sought. And that's what, that's what happens from our own lives when we're, when we're disconnected from God, when we're living out our own nature, what Paul in the New Testament would call our flesh. What can you expect? Stink berries, <laughs> sour grapes. You know, that which is offensive, that which is not pleasing. Jesus would also said that pay attention to the fruit. Pay attention to what a life produces because you'll tell whether it's true or false accordingly. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave these words. He said, beware of false prophets those who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then he goes to the illustration again. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The fruits would be the manifestation that would show whether it's a good tree or a bad tree, a healthy tree or a diseased tree. The fruits would tell whether it's true or it's false. So the true vine, Jesus. Consider the true vine for a for just a moment, and we often think of uh, how, the, how Jesus produces good fruit in our lives individually. But for a second, I want you to think more globally, more comprehensively. What has Jesus produced through the centuries and through the uh, ages and countries and nations of the world? There's a a book that was produced by James Kennedy, pastor down at Coral Ridge uh, years back. In the mid-90s, he wrote a book entitled, what if, Jesus had uh, what if Jesus Had Never Been Born? And in it, he explored Jesus' influence on, this, on civilization throughout the centuries. And the chapters, just the chapters of it, begin to... Uh, begin to suggest the kind of fruit, the influence that he has had through his people when they have produced good fruit. Their chapters include the value of human life. Jesus' value and the, the Christian value of human life is, was one of the things that, that has changed because of the influence of Jesus in society. Where in the Roman society, infanticide was was common, and, and life wasn't considered as valuable as it is today, or, or compassion and mercy and helping the poor. 
Jesus' value of serving the least of us, the, the poor, the widows, the uh, aliens, those who were least in society. He had compassion and mercy, and as his people produced fruit like him, that was transformative. Education for all. You realize that education was only of the elites back in the ancient. Only the most elite would get education, but because of the influence of the people of the book, people, education, teaching was such a high value in the Christian churches that it laid the foundation for education. Most, high, uh, most uh, school systems, uh, colleges, even the colleges of the U.S., many of the early colleges were established by Bible-teaching, Bible-believing Christians in their background. The impact uh, on science uh, laying the foundation for modern science as, as godly men and women actually thought God's thoughts after him, explored his creation, understood how he put it together, what he did and how he did it. Science was impacted by, by Christ. Free enterprise, the work ethic, freedom for all, the arts and more. It goes on and on. So just think for a moment. All the influence that Jesus has had through his people when they have bore good fruit for his glory. It's amazing. And we are a small part of that. Well, Jesus is the true vine, but there's also the vine dresser. The vine dresser. He says, I am the true vine, in verse 1, but my Father, God the Father, is the vine dresser. Now, the vine dresser is the one whose work and responsibility is to create the conditions, to create and maintain the conditions for maximum fruit bearing. How do you get maximum fruit from a vine? Well, it takes a little bit of work. And that work is the work of the vine dresser. Now, he's doing that. He's creating maximum conditions. Uh, conditions for maximum fruit bearing, that means both quantity and quality. He wants to produce much fruit and good fruit. So the quality and the quantity is the goal of the, of the vine dresser. And so he does that in, in a couple of ways. The passage goes on. It says, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Why does he do that? Why does he take away the branches that doesn't bear fruit, that don't bear fruit? So that they don't use up and the resources, the nourishment the, that the, the vine provides to the fruit-bearing branches. And so he eliminates or reduces, re, uh, takes away the, uh, removes, that's the word I was looking for, the fruitless and the useless that's, that would hinder the health and the nourishment of the fruit-bearing branches. But you notice, that's not the only thing he does. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So he works not just on the, and removes the useless, but that that is, is alive and fruit-bearing, he's still going to do some work. He's going to prune. He's going to cut. He's going to remove that so that it produces the most fruit. Now, you think about pruning for a moment. It's part of what I didn't do very well with my citrus trees. When you prune, you're, you're actually cutting back to enable what is alive to grow and flourish even more. But there's, there's really there's two ways to prune in the vineyard. 
And uh, this picture kind of illustrates both of them. One is called, uh, the one on the left there, your left, as you're looking at it, is cane pruning. The one on the right is uh, spur pruning. But they start at the top, and, and uh, they look a lot alike, but they, they continue to trim down and until they have just the right amount of the vine to produce the maximum fruit for the year. What they're cutting back to, and it all depends on which kind of, of uh, grape it is, which kind of vine it is that they're going to trim, which one they're going to do, but they're cutting back because it's only the one-year-old uh, portion of the branch that's going to bear fruit. And so they cut, they cut it back so that only a one-year-old portion with just the right amount of buds or spurs on it will, will be there. Now, so think about that for a second. There's a principle here. It's not the two-year-old, four-year-old, eight-year-old parts of the vine that's going to be producing the fruit. It's the more recent one-year-old. Now, that makes you wonder about your own life. It's not what was true when you were 15, 10, 15 years ago, or five years ago. It's what God is doing in this current season that's going to be producing the abundant fruit within your life. So what is true for you? Just think for a moment about that. Are you experiencing the Father cutting and preparing and creating the conditions so that you can bear fruit for his glory. That's what the vine dresser is doing and what it's, it's all about. Second thing to think about is the vine dresser himself, he's doing, all, he's doing this pruning to create the conditions for maximum, maximum fruit bearing, but his character whether he's faithful or not, and his competence, whether he's skillful or not, are going to determine how effective or fruitful, how effective he is and how fruitful the vine will be. That's what I did not demonstrate in my backyard. But think about the Father for a moment. God the Father, he's all wise. So he knows the best end and he knows the best means to accomplish that end. You think he can be a pretty good vine dresser? He's loving, so he wants the best for you. He's powerful, so he can bring about that best. And he's faithful, so he can be trusted over and over again. So when he prunes, that is, removes things in our lives that would otherwise distract and, and pull us away from the richness of our relationship with Christ, when he removes those things, when he prunes in our life, it's not to harm us, it's to help us. It's not to cause us pain, but it's rather to bring us to a place where we can produce the maximum for his glory and it'll be for our good as well. He's taking care of us as the vine. And he's doing all of this to bring about one thing. He's, Jesus will say later, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He's bringing about that proof in our life. Well, here's the third aspect of this metaphor. 
the branches. So Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser who creates the right scenario, the right conditions for fruit bearing. But we're the branches. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Here he's beginning to speak then to who we are in relationship to who he is. And the, the branches are, are, are attached to and in, intertwine, intertwined with the, the life of the vine. And so that the closer you are, the more healthy are, the more you will produce. It's, it's the near it's the near to the vine areas that, that get the greatest nourishment and have the potential for the greatest production then. And so that raises the question of evaluation of, okay, so am I staying intimate with you, Lord? Am I staying close to you? Am I drawing life from you? And the attachment is also strong. Remember as I summarized the the, the kind of this, in a sentence, I use three adjectives are that, that we remain, we maintain or remain in this living, lasting, loving relationship with Christ. It's, it's living, it's alive, so that we can draw life from the vine. It's lasting, it's going to continue, and it's loving. It's part of that inner, that love relationship between God and us. Come back to that in a moment. But the other thing I point out to you is that these branches are already pruned or cleaned. You remember verse 3? He said, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. That word for cleaning or pruning, that word can be pruned or can be clean. In fact, it's used even in our, applied to our sin. That when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to not only forgive us our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When he's clean, cleansing our life, when he's pruning our life, he's not only taking away that which would, would draw away nourishment to produce fruit, but also that which would be diseased, you know, the sin that would be in our life. So there you have the branches for a moment. Let's think about the fruit for a second. He said, every branch in me that uh, does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear what? More fruit. So you have fruit, and then you have more fruit. And then I'm down at the, the lower end there, verse 5, I, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. There seems to be this little laced progression going on here that he's clean he cleanses prunes so we bear fruit but he does it so that we'd actually bear more fruit than we would have bear more otherwise and the fact is if we abide in him we'll bear much fruit and it kind of builds the fruit grow, growing in, in uh, quantity that's what he wants to produce in our lives in fact then in uh, John 15 verse 16 says I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So it's, it's fruit, more fruit, much fruit, and it's remaining fruit. It seems to be a 
pattern here that he's trying to get to, which is fruit. So you think, okay, so what is the fruit? What's the fruit that we're supposed to be producing? And perhaps your mind immediately goes to the fruit of the Spirit that Paul identifies in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. That fruit that comes as, as an inner, as an external expression of that inner work of the Spirit in our life. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Now think of these and think, is this what I need at this point? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Or did I leave off faithfulness? No, I said faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. Those are the kinds of things that the Spirit of God produces in our life those that he produces in our life as we abide in Christ in a living, lasting, loving relationship. We can expect the Spirit to be at work and helping us, transforming us, so that our life is more like Christ, but in what ways? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In this passage in the, this part of uh, Jesus's farewell discourse, we've already last week in chapter 14, we, we heard him speak of peace. He said, my peace I leave with you. He says here in this section, he's talked about abiding in his love. He also goes on to say, the reason I spoke all these things to you is so that your joy would be full. So he's taken and he's underscored all three of the first three fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, in this section. So certainly what part of what he's got in mind is, is that we would produce the fruit of Christian character out of our life as we abide. But there's, there's actually probably more there because it's not just the external uh, or internal fruit, it's the external expressions as well, which is how our, our behavior, our character, but that word fruit is used elsewhere in the New Testament for, for uh, harvest uh, as well. For the harvest of the influence that you have in others' lives. So, so through your, the good works that you do, the works of compassion and caring, as well as the witness that you have and the fruit that it bears in the lives of others is actually often connected with this concept of or this word of fruit as well. So it's not just the internal character, it's the external influence that we have. And so think about not just your life individually, though that for sure, but also our lives together as a, as a community of faith. What kind of fruit are we producing? Are we characteristically like Christ and are we having an impact serving others and sharing with others? And and you hear in the God at work stories that are being shared week after week of that. God is at work. He's pruning us to prepare us for even more fruitfulness. The last thing, fifth, is the abiding. We are to abide in him and he in us. And if we do, that's when we will bear fruit. That abiding, again, that living, that life-giving, life-receiving relationship where we're attached to Christ, where we're, we're in relationship with Him in a lasting, remaining, abiding way. And loving, abiding in His love and expressing His love to others. 
But it's interesting that as he unpacks this idea of abiding, he presses it one step forward in verses 7 and 8. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, by this abiding, asking, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Your proof of discipleship is your fruitfulness. But part of the path into that fruitfulness is the word and prayer. So think about this for a moment. Have you noticed the prominence of God's word or Christ's word? He said he cleans, we're already clean because of the word spoken by Christ, verse 3. He says, if my words abide in you, verse 7, if we were to read through the rest of this section, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, verse 11, these things I've spoken to you, verse 12, this is my commandment, verse 15, all that I've heard from the Father I've made known to you, verse 17, these things I command you. Why is the word essential for abiding? He over and over emphasizes my word, my word, my commandments. Why? Because it's his word that he uses to prune and transform our life, to, to, to cleanse us, verse 3, but also to transform us so that we become what we produce and become and produce what Christ is seeking in our lives. The word is, is, is the, the, word of the, the word of Christ is the, um, the uh, sword of the Spirit that the Spirit's going to use to transform and produce. But there's a second thing. He says, and you will ask whatever you ask, whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Now, that's a fairly risky promise. I'm not sure I would trust Keith Davey with a promise like that. <laughs> ask whatever you want, Keith, and it'll be done for you. Now, I wouldn't trust me with that unless, unless I'm abiding. Because if I'm in a... If I'm in an abiding relationship where I'm living, drawing life from Christ, it's in a lasting, not here and there, it's continuing, loving relationship with Him, where His Word is transforming my thinking, renewing my mind, transforming my life, so that what He wants is what I want. What His will is becomes my will, where I'm aligned with Him, well, I might be trustworthy to have, a, have the privilege of praying in the name of Christ and to know that God is listening to our prayers and that he's going to act upon those. He's going to respond because we're aligned and dependent on him. That's the secret to answered prayer, is to be in right relation. It's not just to ask. It's to ask when in right relationship for his purposes and his plans. So, abiding in him. You'll, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. In that abiding relationship, we have the privilege of answered prayer. Well, we said when you're abiding in a living, lasting, loving relationship with Christ, you'll bear fruit for the glory of God. And as we looked at that, we saw that abiding in Jesus, he is the true vine, pruned by the Father, the vine dresser, who loves us, who cares for us, who creates the conditions for, for the fruit bearing, and that we bear much fruit for the, 
the glory of God. I think back to my, uh, my younger days. It was actually 54 years ago this winter that I first placed my faith in Jesus Christ and began to follow him as my Savior and Lord. I didn't know much back in those days. Uh, I was pretty ignorant. And, uh, but it was the beginning where I started to truly trust Christ with my life and began to abide, even as I was only learning what does abiding look like, what does that mean? But I, I was seeking to truly abide. And, and through the years, you know, there's been ups, there's been downs, there's been times where, where uh, I've experienced, experienced this in deeper ways and times I've been stronger and times I've been weaker and struggling within it. It's, it's been, been the ups and downs, but there's never been a major season, a, a season of time where I've turned from him and gone my own way, where I've been like the prodigal and gone to the far country. But continue to stay within that. And so as, I, as I've done that, I've learned that abiding in Christ isn't one aspect of the Christian life. It's not like it's one thing and you have all these other things. It is the Christian life. This is how we experience the relationship with Christ is by having this living, lasting, loving relationship with him where we're drawing life from him so he can produce his life in us. It's not about us as if we're something special. We're definitely not. But God can, can take and by his vine, as the vine dresser, by his care and his competence, he can take care and produce within us and through us the fruit. But it starts, it starts just like it did with me, it starts with that relationship with Christ of placing your faith and trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord and then staying close to him from then on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, your word that teaches us about the Christian life. Thank you that you have given us a reminder this morning of what it's like to live the Christian life, to abide in you. And we love you. And we desire to experience the fullness of what you have and go deeper into the reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.